Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan Lear and I'm with my co-host, Glenn Fairburn. Glenn, you got a, a message from, from a friend of yours um, that got us kind of interested about the, uh, the topic of market timing, didn't you? Yeah, he just shot me a message, um, like I think it was towards the back end of last week, just saying he was having a chat with some people and they were all sort of forecasting or predicting the property or saying that the property market was going to, the property market was going to crash the Australian economy was, was heading to recession and he was just saying, oh, look, are, are we heading for bad times? And it, it's, I mean, it doesn't really surprise me these sorts of comments and questions. It just seems as though people just through human nature, I suppose, are more attracted to the negative news stories, aren't they? I mean, just regardless of whatever cycle we're in, there always seems to be that sort of pessimism that comes to the surface, doesn't it? And I mean, you, you see it in the news, there's numerous um you know news stories on tv about an impending financial collapse whether it's in china or in the us or or just within our local economy um and i suppose that sort of sentiment drives people to think okay i'm on, i'm in cash yes i know interest rates are low at the moment but is now a bad time to invest um because of this sort of impending gloom i suppose um, and in addition to that, people also look at the performance of the the share market, whether that be in the US or in Australia. I mean, we was having a look at these figures before. I mean, the US in particular, the last five years, it's up almost 60%. The Australian market's up almost 30%. Um, so people think that as a result of that strengthening share market, that eventually there's going to be this collapse in financial markets um, and whether... They're safer just to be sitting on cash, even though interest rates are so low at the moment. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a tough question to answer, but really the only answer that, that I would have in regards to trying to forecast what macroeconomic or what financial markets are going to do is no one knows. Would you, would you sort of agree with that, that it's just impossible to predict? Definitely, and, and you're def- keen to explore that, uh, that a little bit further, but I was just going to make the point, Glenn. I think... I find I deal with diff- two different kinds of people. The one kind, like you just said there, their markets have been going fairly well, worried that a crash is coming because, you know, things can't go up forever, which, yeah, is, is logical to a degree. Usually, you know, there'll be boom-bust type scenarios in yeah. markets. And then there's the other type of people that um, markets are just going so well, well, why wouldn't you just ride that wave? Yeah. You know, jump the herd yeah. mentality. Yeah. Did you find that... I think so. The, quite often there's there's two type of people. The maybe it's the negative positive mindset, glass half full, glass half empty. I'm not quite yeah, sure. But. Yeah. I don't know what the what the sort of balance is between that, but I, I don't know. Maybe because because I, I just to counter what you said. Sorry, I've got clients that say that say to me, "Why wouldn't I just you know people I speak to, whatever it might be, market you know last couple of years it's been going so well. Why wouldn't I just keep investing in it? Yeah. Like yeah. why wouldn't I just go all in, so to speak? Mm. Which is probably not the right, not the right way to look at it either, is it? That's at the other end of the spectrum. That that's right, and I think um, you know you, you're definitely right that there's there's two different mindsets. Um, I don't know, ma- maybe it's just in more recent times there seems to be a lot more pessimism. But I mean, yeah, what I, I would that. what I would generally say to that is, I mean, we, we go to a lot of you know investment briefings, economic briefings, and and, and that's not just been in recent times, but over you know a long long period of time. And I, I can remember like three, four, five years ago being at a number of different investment conferences or just briefings where, you know, so-called astute in- investors were saying, well, look, the mar- prepare for 
mm. tough times because the market's going to have a correction, rates are going to rise. Um, and, and these are people that are very respected in the industry and, and they got it wrong. So if they're getting it wrong, how can you expect Joe Blow on the street reading the newspaper, watching the news to, to predict some sort of financial collapse or correction in the market? It's, it's, mm. it's, it's just impossible, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. But I think in addition to that, um, it, it's, it's, it's not just trying to predict markets that's, that's impossible. It's almost, I don't know, like it, it's, a, it's an opportunity cost, isn't it? Because you could, you could be sitting on cash forever. Because the danger in just sitting out of the market and, and waiting for a correction is that it's sort of like that what-if scenario, isn't it? Because what if the market continues to go up and you're still sitting on these low interest rate returns? And I would argue that there's been a lot of people over a long period of time that have sat on cash because of the, the sort of fear around this impending market correction and have, and have missed out on some amazing financial results, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. You, you know, opportunity cost and... I think you you mentioned before we started the podcast. Glenn, if you miss some of the best days, it can can have a really big impact on your overall return, can't it? Have yeah, you got because, those? yeah, definitely. So with investing, um, a general sort of term is that you're better off having time in the market compared to timing the market. So what that generally means is that time in the market means that you invest today, you take a long term view, you're not trying to chop and change and get in and out of the market. You you just invest for the long term. Now, timing the market means that you try and pick the best times to get in and out. Um, but the danger in doing that is that if you look at the performance of the share market, and let's just say it does 12% over a 12-month period, it's not an equal distribution of that return. So you're not getting 1% each month through the year. Um, now, if you missed the best 60 days um, over the last 10 years, y- your returns could be almost halved. So... For example, the annualized performance of the market over the last 10 years, if you missed the best 60 days, your return was reduced by over 7%. So you can see how influential that, you know, those just few days within a long, long period, like over a 10-year period can have on the performance of your portfolio. So what that shows us is that you're actually better off just buying investments and then holding them and riding that sort of volatility as opposed to trying to get in and out. Yeah, yeah, I mean... 100% 100% Glenn, like it's our, our philosophy um, here at Heels on Private Wealth. It's, um, you know, time is your best friend when it comes to investing. Uh, the earlier you start, the better. Um, have a diversified strategy. I mean, kind of they're the key things we talk about all the time, isn't it? Yeah, look, just, just a question for you. I mean, we've, we've both been sort of managing client money for, you know, 15 plus years and, and, and sort of lived through various cycles of the investment market. So obviously the global financial crisis, um, various geopolitical events and seeing how markets perform and, and seeing strategies that work. Does it surprise you when, you know, fund managers, investment managers, economists, does it surprise you when they continually try and pick cycles, um, trying to predict how markets might react to th- certain things? Does it con- surprise me? Um, it probably doesn't surprise me because I think, I, I think as humans people want to overachieve like people want to be smarter than whatever it is you know they're like they want they want to win like humans are you know competitive they want to win so right so so with with investing like people want to beat the market like yeah yeah you know because you can just invest in the market if you want yeah. that's a style of investing like index investing but but people always want to win so 
Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I think a lot of people maybe want to justify, you know, their, their worth and if they're... Yeah, make a name for themselves. If they're an active manager, you know, they're, they're, they're charging... They're charging... Because with, with the rise of um, passive investing or index investing, exchange-traded funds and the like, um, you, you can invest in, in a broader index for, for a very low fee. Yeah. So a lot of the, um, you know, active fund managers, let's say... They, they need to justify their worth. So, mm. you know, by, by, by making calls, timing maybe in and out of stocks or, or markets, maybe that's their way of doing that, justifying yeah. their worth. And, and look, another way that I've looked at it and I've sort of reflected on this personally, like just looking at the various sort of geopolitical events that could have impacted markets over the last five years and sort of looking at those events and saying, okay, what was the media telling us that was going to happen? And if you look at the situation with China, like the economic um, situation with China, would it be fair to say that over an extended period of time, the media has been saying China's going to collapse? Yeah, yeah. Look, that's been that's been a big risk for I feel like ten at years, least five, ten years now. Yeah. Because ever since you know they there was that big run up in, before the Olympics in what year was that again? The, the two thousand eight or something? Yeah, was it? yeah, yeah, whatever it was yeah. um, in the two thousands, there was that big run up, and then it kind of kept going for a bit. And there's been that you know the debt levels, and there's been this big fear about about you know, how long can it keep growing? Uh, yeah. But I, I heard a I heard a great stat. I don't know the exact figure, so I'll just talk generally. Where um, China's GDP, um, I think at its height it was in the teens, like. The growth, the growth in GDP. Uh, Yeah, the the GDP figure was, let's say, sorry, this isn't correct exactly, but let's call it 10 to 12%. Mm. I think the GDP now is like, what is it, like six or something? So it's come down significantly, but their base from, say, the early 2000s um, was so much lower back then. So if they're doing 12% on a lower base or 6% now on a much bigger base, they're actually the output, the GDP... In dollar terms. In dollar terms, terms, yeah. Yeah, is so much better. Yeah. So... And I mean, I know we started talking about China, but it's it's been probably what you want, like a controlled slowdown and being a, you know, kind of a communist. Uh, yeah. What do you what do you call it now? Is it oh, well, <laughs> is communist sort of the right word or sort of economy? Isn't it? Yeah, they can kind of control things a little bit better. So yeah. they've controlled the slowdown, you know, really well. So, but you're right. Like that's that's a good example of people saying that you know, that market. You know, that economy, sorry, is um is, is going to be in for hard times. Yeah. And it hasn't happened, has so it? So if you were sitting on the sidelines or you exited five years ago. Probably not going to be. <laughs> it wouldn't be the best outcome. I mean, just just a couple of other ones, just that that I sort of in, th- think about in my mind. A few years back, who was going to win the U.S. election? Like, and everyone was positioning their portfolios as a result of that. Mm. When Trump got in, the market went down. It's recovered. And it's gone up since then. And, and why everyone got carried away with that? But why was the rhetoric that markets were going to tank? It went if. Donald Trump got elected. I think it was just um, being a more closed economy, like because a lot of the policies that Trump was talking about was really focusing on the US, perhaps minimizing globalization, um, not being as friendly from a trade perspective. So I think perhaps that was the perception. Um, but even closer to home, um, we only had our election this year. Who was going to win the election? I mean, everyone was saying the Labor was going to win the election. So as a result of that, there was this sort of fear and paranoia with their policy around franking credits and the like. Now, that didn't happen. So if you're... I suppose the point that I'm trying to get at here is that if you're reading the press, you, you're watching documentaries and news stories and you're trying to predict 
what's going to happen geopolitically and how that will affect financial markets. I mean, I've just given you an example of so many situations um, that that were predicting perhaps you know a, a, a negative impact on the economy or, or the fun, or the share market that didn't happen. Mm. Um, and you know, we, we always talk about Brexit as well, don't we? When well, Brexit's we, another one. Yeah. I mean, everyone <laughs> said that you know the UK was going to stay, and then they were exiting. Like it, you just get it wrong. So I mean, what I say to clients is why why try and bother? Why try to bothering predicting those things because you're going to get it wrong more often than not um and eventually markets i believe go beyond that short-term geopolitical event it's the same with north korea i mean two was it a year ago two years ago there was going to be this military conflict that sort of subsided we don't even really hear about much of that anymore so if you're trying to react to all these different world events i think just though i can't think of one that's been right to be honest do you mean the, the prediction of what's yeah, going to happen? Yeah, like a, a geopolitical impact um, that, that the media has actually gotten right in more recent times. I just can't. I can't even think of one. Or that even economists have sort of said, oh, this is going to happen. You've got to be cautious in, in this area. Mm. Um, yeah, there's been a few big ones in, in, in the last five years that haven't gone the way that uh, the consensus thought yeah. it would go. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, even Warren Buffett would say that, you know, he's the most successful investor in history, mm. he doesn't try and pick macroeconomic themes. Even or interest rates is another big one. Yeah, Pe- people, people, yeah, exactly. People tipped, and we know a lot of in our industry a lot of really good, you know, investment money managers that that, that thought interest rates would start to rise a couple of years ago, yeah. several years ago, and and, and they they just stayed ridiculously low yeah. for so long. And interestingly enough, just looking at the stats that I was talking about before. Um, if you were invested from 2003 to 2018, so look, this this doesn't obviously take into account this year, but if you missed the 20 best days, um, your act- your returns actually went from positive to negative. So I mean, it's telling. So that the best days really count towards your investment huge. performance. So if you're jumping in and so out, so you're getting it wrong, it can have a huge impact. Absolutely, you're totally so, wrong. Exactly. So if you're out of the market for those best days, you're probably better off just sitting on cash the whole time because you're not going to get much of a return. Mm. So, I mean, what do you think as far as um, the lessons that people can have? Is it just not... I mean, you do have to pay, pay attention to what's happening in the economy and and the like, but it's not being reactive, is it? Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to having having a strategy in place. So, I mean, we... And we, you know, we, off, we always talk about objectives, understanding the objectives and then building an investment strategy that fits in with those objectives. So, once we... Uh, understand that with our clients we build we build the asset allocation which um, at a top level uh, allocates the money towards the different sectors whether it's um, whether it's Australian shares international shares property uh, and then we let that strategy drive the investment returns and, and that's more of a, a strategic or a long-term asset allocation where we're not we're not chopping and changing it so I'd, I'd probably say have the strategy right at the start and that's going to protect you from yourself yeah. and it's okay to, you know, we follow the we follow the news and the press and things like that. It's okay to to follow the press, but just like you said, then Glenn, just not to be reactive to it. Yeah, and and, yeah. and that's where I mean, you're hundred percent right with having the strategy, but also as important as to having it is sticking to it, isn't it? Mm. Because if you have a strategy which is a target allocation to the various asset classes, um, then as your portfolio. Um, because the markets are obviously dynamic, as your actual allocation to those various asset classes changes, 
well, the portfolio will tell you what you need to be doing. You don't need to be looking at the market and trying to predict what's going to happen because if you're overweight shares, then the portfolio will be telling you, well, you need to take profits here. So by its very nature, through that rebalancing process, you're actually reducing and taking profits as markets are rising. But also on the flip side, if markets correct, then you're rebalancing into those assets that have gone down. So it's a surefire way of, um, of ensuring that you're buying low, selling high as opposed, without having to pick the best time to get in and out, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Was there anything else that you wanted to add in regards to that, Nathan, as far as I suppose the dangers of trying to time markets, but also as we've spoken about, whether it's portfolio rebalancing or other strategies that, that people could look at to mitigate the risks of, of a downturn? Oh, I just, just with timing, what I always think about is the people that defer... Usually, you, it can be both ways, but usually it's the people that defer the investment decision. Um, and I mean, I've I've had conversations with people uh, around property, which I, I know we've I think we've probably covered this a few times on other podcasts, Glenn. But um, when when the market property market um, in, in we're down in Melbourne here, and and when the property market was was running probably at its peak, maybe in late two thousand seventeen, even in two thousand eighteen. I had people saying, oh, actually, well, this was after it started coming down because the property market had a bit of a, you know, maybe a 10% correction, yeah. who knows? And I had conversations with the people like, oh, it's going to keep falling. I'm just going to, I'm going to wait. I want to buy, I want to buy my first home, yeah. but I don't, I don't want to buy now because it's going to keep falling. And, and like, what's happened? Yeah, well, it's, it's recovered. It's, it? it's, it's bounced and now people are probably scrambling. Yeah. Um, so, and share, some people are like that with shares. Um you know, shares are at all time high. They might have said this a couple of years ago. Share, shares are running hot. Why would I, why would I buy shares? I wait till they fall, and they've just kept running hot. Yeah. So, when do you buy? Um, usually, people, people jump jump on, and then, and then if they miss the run up, they might just get in a couple of years later, and they've missed out on ten or ten percent, twenty percent, whatever it might be. So, that's why we always say the best time to invest is is now. Yeah. Have a have a strategy and let the strategy take care of itself. And and the other argument I don't like is on oh, the market's at a high. It's at it's at this peak. Well, every peak's been broken over 130 years. Yeah, That's, the market doesn't operate within a band. Mm. Like it, it it's broken every single peak throughout history. Mm. So that that's an absolute guarantee. The key that though, as we've been talking about, is to actually remain invested, isn't it? Mm. Don't try and pick to get in and out. If you just mm. as you said, the best time to invest is now, so long as you ha- can take the long term view. Um, and I think that's probably one of the key messages uh, from today. Yep, yep, 100% agree. So look, yep. we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Hopefully it's um, been informative. As just, just to recap, you know, the, we, we do firmly believe there's dangers in trying to pick the best time to get in and out. The best time to invest is now as so long as you have that long-term view. Don't be too alarmed by the day-to-day fluctuations in asset values or day-to-day news stories preaching um, you know the, the the collapse of financial markets. So once again, invest long term. Let the power of compounding take care of itself, and that that should hold you um, in good stead over a long period of time. Um, so look, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, um, and we look forward to you joining us um, next week. Thank you.